welcome to Aiming for More, a tool to help you start aiming for more than the status quo of Christian life. My name is Wes Walters. I'm one of the pastors at AIM Church in Southside, Alabama. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Aiming for More. This is episode five, and I want to step out of some of the things that I had planned to do because we've been going through 1 Timothy on Wednesday nights at AIM Church, and one of the passages really struck me as extremely relevant and powerful, and I want to discuss it a little bit more. So today we're going to be getting into how we're supposed to think and act as the church when it comes to false teachers. So the passage that we were in was 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 5. And the passage right before that, in 3, 14 to 16, we learned how we define the church in terms of how it defines all we do, meaning Paul called the church a pillar and buttress of the truth of the living God. And this was key in his instruction to Timothy because not only is no one else in the world holding up that mantle, but if we see the church as anything less, anything less than a pillar and a buttress of the truth of the living God, we will make it into all kinds of things that God never intended it to be in order to serve our flesh or the world. Now, in 4, 1 to 5, Paul returns to battling against false teachers like he did in the beginning of the book. But specifically, he talks about how they're leading people astray. And ultimately, he shows that they have made up their own rules that do not come from Scripture. And beloved, I want to say to you that that is always one of the problems with false teachers and a good way to test and see if they are of God or not. Are they requiring what God forbids or forbidding what God requires? as the old catechisms used to say. So I want to briefly teach through the passage, just real quick, so we can have a good understanding of it, and then talk about the implications, because the same thing that was happening when Paul wrote this to Timothy is happening in 2024, and we need to be more than aware of it. We need to be fighting against it and preparing ourselves daily, because it is part of the fabric of our world. So I want to start by just reading through the passage, and then we'll take each verse and section at a time. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This is the word of God. So verses 1 to 2, let's talk about these phrases. Spirit expressly or clearly says. So when he says that, this is presumably a special revelation to Paul, but it could also be understood as based on his own experience and communion with the Holy Spirit. You know, that makes sense because we see his interactions with and the leading of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts repeatedly. He says expressly or clearly, the Horatos, because he believes that what he's about to say to Timothy is undeniable and convincing. The Spirit clearly says this, Timothy. Now, what has the Spirit clearly said? The, le- the next phrase, In later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now, the later times there 
refers to the period between Christ's first and second comings, so right now. And isn't it true? Don't you see it all the time, all around, that people are departing the faith or leaving the church? Now, why is Paul wanting Timothy to be aware and know that it's not just in the past or the future, but right now? Well, as one man said, eschatological awareness is key to pastoral readiness. We need to know that this is happening right now because it affects everything that we do. And we don't live fearing the end or even knowing all the details of the end, but we lovingly and urgently want to warn and teach accordingly. So he needed this knowledge. Now, when he says depart the faith, this is about leaving the teachings and the call of Jesus because of contemporary entanglements. Now, sometimes you wonder what happened when people leave the church for something like this, and people say, oh, they they just lost their faith or they lost their way. But I would say it's difficult to lose something you never had. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might become plain that they are not all of us. Now, Paul chooses the phrase left the faith, not lost, because they were with and among those of the faith, and they may have even practiced some of the ways, but they were not drinking the pure milk of the gospel and were easily led astray. And I know that we all have lapses in our commitment, and we dip in and out sometimes, and we're not as faithful as we should be, but this is more uh, of an extreme situation where they they have just left. And the writer of Hebrews makes the statement even more stern when he says in 6, 4-6, For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Mercy does not last forever. And those who walk out on the church and Christ will sometimes never return. And we pray that that's not the case for those that we know that have left. We, we pray for them that they will return. And again, that's why our devotion must be to the truth of the living God alone, as he said in chapter 3. And we must be, as the church, that pillar and buttress of that truth. That is where our devotion must lie. As soon as we move away from that, we danger on leaving. And the devotion to the truth has to be there, as opposed to what Paul mentions next, which is the natural result of abandoning the faith in the church. They devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of the liars whose consciences are seared. Now, we'll take this in two parts, but this is about following after false teachers. Before we talk about the spirits and consciences, though, I want you to notice that Paul says, devoting They are devoting themselves to these things. This is not dabbling in. This is not getting some information about. This is not visiting their service on Sunday to check out their vibe. This is devotion. We use this word here at AIM Church in our vision statement. We want to be devoted to Jesus every day, everywhere, because it is a strong word. It's the best word I can think of for a description of a disciple's following. Devotion is defined in the dictionary as love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. It is a commitment or a dedication. So I am devoted to my wife, and that means I am not devoted to any other woman. It means that after Christ, 
She gets first dibs on my time, my affection, my energy, and my love. And I'm considering her first over all other humans. It's every day, all the time. It affects all things. That is devotion. It means I put myself aside for her. Now, thinking in that way, realize what Paul is saying when he says they are devoted to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. That's what he calls these false teachers. In Matthew 12, 43 to 45, Jesus talks about removing an impure spirit only to return to it and that the condition of that person is worse than before. Church, before Christ, we were under the power of Satan in this world, and, the, and that's what he's talking about. These people he's talking about were un, in the world under the power of Satan. They came into the church, and now they're going back under the power of Satan. One cam- commentator said that Jesus, John, and Paul teach that these people have a fascination with the non-Christ ideas and practices of the world. So how is this happening? How is this, what is this vehicle for the awful devotion that they have? Well, it says, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. These, these are the false teachers. The word translated liars here is pseudologos. Now, you may have heard the word logos, the word, right? This describes people who like actors, play parts so well that their words have the ring of truth. Now, as I was sitting working on this a couple weeks ago, I was sitting in a coffee place, and there's TVs all over the place, and on one of the TVs was the channel TBN, and you got Creflo Dollar and Miracle Worker and all these kind of stuff and more that were going on. And what I noticed, because I couldn't help but look away, right, because that's how they they make it look, the presentation was smooth, the words were convincing. It had just a, a little bit of truth in it. And the same thing was happening back in Paul's day. And this is scary because it's happening every hour of every day on something like TBN or YouTube or wherever it is. And then in, it's either happening through a false teacher in a church building or on TV all the time. Or even as we preach to ourselves a false self-centered gospel in our heads or on our phones. Yes, you heard me right. We can sear our own consciences by becoming our own false teachers. And the outcome is never good. As one man said, when the truth is abandoned, the results are never benign. So we can do it to ourselves, but there are definitely false teachers out there under the rule of Satan pulling people astray. Now next, in verse 3, Paul describes some of the outcomes. These false teachers are men who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. What? What is he talking about? Well, Paul addressed these guys in Colossians 2, 20-23 as well. He starts out by mentioning that they forbid marriage. They forbid marriage. Now, this could have been for a variety of reasons. Uh, for devotion to a cult and so forth. And, but what it does is it, it's creating a breakdown of society, okay? Now, Paul and they have not been married. Jesus and Timothy were not. But they all uphold it as crucial in God's created order. It's how the mission of God moves forward from the first time he commanded it in the garden until his, his return. It is heralded all over Scripture as this penultimate good. It alone represents Christ in the church, and therein may be the reason why the enemy is saying through these guys to not do it. Like, we could talk about this forever, but the last thing I'll say is, if the enemy can destroy marriages, 
and the idea of marriage between one man and one woman, he can destroy local churches, he can destroy towns, and he can destroy whole nations. It is the foundational thing in the progression of society, just practically speaking, right? Because that's how babies are made. But it's also seen as good for Paul himself, who earlier in chapter 3 said that elders must be the husband of one wife, implying that it is good and right and a God way of things. And some of these false teachers may have been trying to create religious efficiency and things like that, but it's just like the Pharisees who've added to the Word of God. Now, what's more, they not only said don't get married, but don't eat certain foods. It says they require abstinence from certain food. Now, look, in the Old Testament, God did forbid certain foods for the purpose of holiness and being set apart. But that was undone when Peter received his vision in Acts 10 and 15. Also, Paul elsewhere has already addressed this when he said in Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And again in 1 Corinthians 8, 8, Food will, will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do. Paul's answer to this is just that it's categorically untrue. There are foods that God created These are foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And that's really the the caveat there, those who believe and know the truth. Everyone can enjoy marriage and food, but Paul is addressing the fact that believers are being pulled away into not partaking in what God designed for our joy. And then he explains why in verse 4 to 5 as we close out the explanation of the scripture here. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it's made holy by the word of God in prayer. Now, before you pick up your bongs and start a weed garden at your house, let me clarify. Remember, we're talking about those of us in the church who believe and know the truth, as it said in verse 3. Those of us who have a relationship with God, and relationship with God sanctifies us participating in his created order. So the word of God and prayer are not tools for baptizing sinful things so that we can do them, right? Things that would damage our bodies, our minds, our relationships that God has entrusted to us. Indeed, even marriage and food can become idols that are used for sinful reasons. But when they're brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ, they become a means of worship. So when it comes to weed or opiates or alcohol or anything else from the earth, It's all under the curse of the fall, and so we cannot just say, well, it's from the earth, the Lord said it's good, we should receive it with thanksgiving. No, we should receive it with wisdom and discernment, and some of that, like opiates, need to be rejected with the pure use of opiates, right? But some of it needs to be redeemed and can be used for good good things. So you take the the oils and things out of the weed plant, right, and use it for medicine. You take alcohol to be enjoyed with gladness and moderation, things like that. So the phrase, nothing to be rege- is to be rejected, is not a license for freedom. It does not legitimize drugs any more than it legitimizes extramarital sex. There are deeds of the flesh that Paul says are to be rejected in Galatians 5. And so we're talking about a balance of following God's commands and using human discretion. So what Paul is ultimately drawing Timothy back to here is, as he teaches him how to oppose these false teachers is, let's go back to the beginning. God created all things and saw that it was good, 
It is good for us, however it is under the curse. So we must live as those, thi- those that are in the garden, but in a way that understands it's in the process of restoration. And so how do we do that? How do we discern how to function and thrive in life with things like marriage and food and other good things? Well, he says, by the word of God and prayer. And when he says these things are made holy, it does not mean, again, that they're baptized and you can do with them whatever you want. He means this is how the church perseveres and brings all things under submission to God's rule and not ours or Satan's. We bring it under the word of God and prayer. So, back to being a pillar and buttress of the truth of the living God. We, as the church, must bring all things on earth, good, bad, or ugly, (laughs) under the word of God and prayer. When you set aside or do not engage in these things, the word of God and prayer, you will drift from the truth. You will become numb and you will eventually fall prey to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And then it won't be long until you leave the faith and devote yourself to these things. Beloved, fight the drift. Stay fervent in prayer and the Word of God. And don't just do that alone. Yes, go get in your closet and be with the Lord, but do not do it alone. Make sure you are also doing it with brothers and sisters, because isolation is one of the most powerful weapons of the enemy, even for the strongest in the church. And I feel like I want to do a whole entire podcast episode on isolation as a tool of the enemy. So look forward to that. (laughs) All right, I want to end by just asking and answering some questions. So on on Wednesday nights, we we often split up to tables and ask some of these questions. And I just want to bring bring this to you so that you can think through it in this way. So one of the questions is, why is this section necessary for Timothy and the church? Well, because there was an obvious issue going on, right? There was false teachers pulling people away from the church, and, and you don't want to see that happening in the church. Obviously, it's the bride of Christ, and you don't want this to happen, and you want these people to have salvation and strong truth in their life. That's what we want. And so it's absolutely necessary that Paul had to tell Timothy this as he leads the church. Um. One of the other questions was, where have you been legalistic in your own faith? Making up your own extra-biblical rules and thereby becoming your own false teacher. I have a tendency to do this as I say to myself, well, I've got to read a certain amount of certain things or do a certain number of things in order to be accepted and pleased or pleasing to God. And that's nowhere in Scripture. Um, (laughs) But I have, in my own brain, because of my own personal issues and things that I work through in counseling, um, I have a tendency to want to make sure that I do a certain amount. And the fact is, Christ is the one who has already done enough. I cannot do enough to earn God's favor. I only earn God's favor and pleasure through Christ and his work on the cross, which is complete. So that's just an example of how I become legalistic in my own faith and make up my own rules, and I've become my own false teacher. So where do you do that? Look at your life and consider where you've maybe made up your own rules. Uh, the fourth question, or another question here, is how can this passage help you pray for your church and leaders? Oh, we need to be praying for our churches and leaders in this way, that God will keep these, not only keep these false teachers away, but help us, God, to stay tethered to the Word so that we are indeed a pillar of, and a buttress of the truth of the living God in our town and in our county and in our state and region. We, our leaders, 
get pulled by this stuff all the time. I know as a pastor, there's a constant temptation to to take an easier road or to not be as as tough about some certain things and skip certain passages. But when we do that, we're, we deny the truth and we set it aside because, as it said in one of the Gospels, that we love the approval that comes from man more than God. And so you can, you can pray for your church and your leaders to stay focused and tethered to the Word of God and be that pillar and buttress of the living truth and not make up their own rules. Now, last question I want you to consider is, how do we stay true to the truth of the living God as a church? And the answer is right there in the passage. It is by the Word of God and prayer. We absolutely must do this as a church, but you must do this as an individual disciple of Christ. We have to stay tethered to the Word of God and prayer. If you don't have a regular rhythm of the Word of God and prayer in your life by yourself and with others and then with the church at large, then you're setting yourself up to drift into all kinds of heresies and all kinds of just laziness and faithlessness and worse. And so please make sure that you have a regular rhythm of the Word of God and prayer with others, with yourself, and with the church at large. That's how we're going to stay true to the truth of the living God as church. Look, church, there is nothing new under the sun, right? There's, there's nothing new that we need. There's no new revelations that we need to come. The canon's complete. The Word of God is complete. There's no reason to be amazed by some new teacher that comes out and he says something new, and you go, oh, I've never heard this before. I need to go follow this. No, we've got everything we need. The message hasn't changed. Christ hasn't changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so there's no reason to be pulled away by false teachers. Keep yourself tethered to the truth of the living God, and let's build each other up so that that pillar and that buttress as the church is strong as false teachers come in and try to take members away. Well, that's it for this episode five, but I just wanted to take a second and pray for the church. And so if you're driving or working out or whatever you're doing right now, if you'll just join me in prayer. God, we need your help. There are false teachers all around us and sometimes right inside of us. And so God, Holy Spirit, would you please convict us, hold us close, keep us tethered and tied to the word of God in prayer at all costs. And we will continue in this by the power of your Spirit until you return. Come quickly, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Aiming for More. If you'd like to learn more about AIM Church in Southside Alabama, visit aimchurch1.com. That's aimchurch and the number one.com. dot